I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to My Millennial Career. My name is Shelley Johnson. I'm a HR consultant and the founder at Boldside, where I help leaders develop epic teams. If you want to invest in your leaders and grow your team culture, message me on LinkedIn. Let's chat about how we can work together. Today on the show, we're talking about how you deal with the tough stuff at work. Think things like failure, embarrassment, bouncing back from a difficult work experience. And I think we might even touch on some work trauma, which can be a bit of a heavy subject. We're going to go there today. We've got a bunch of listener questions and I'm joined by our producer, Rach. Hey, Rach. Hey, show. All right, let's do it. Okay, Rach, we've had a fair few anonymous questions submitted to the My Millennial Money Facebook community, and I've actually had a bunch of people message me on LinkedIn with some questions for the show. So we've collated them. What's the first one? These are some great questions. The first question is, I find I struggle to build rapport in relationships with people at work. What can I do? Yeah, this is a common one. And for any of the introverts listening, you will relate to this question of, that idea is small talk, right? Like I hate small talk. What? How, what's mm. your thoughts on small talk? I hate it as well. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's awkward. <laughs> Nobody wants to do it. We're all just saying stuff and it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> it's like, how's the weather? And I'm like, I literally do not care about the weather. I'm just wanting to get my job done. So there's a few things we can do to build rapport. And if you feel awkward with small talk, don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to do more small talk because that's the opposite of what I think you should do. We do need to develop the skill of rapport building or connection building. And there's a couple of really practical ways you can do that. The first thing is be interested in other people. So how do you develop curiosity about other people? And often we can get into our own little lane and just focus on what we need to be doing. But what I want you to do is how do you become more interested in other people? And instead of focusing on those small talk things like how's your family doing or how's your renovations at home going or whatever, you can actually focus on the work. So how can I be interested in, hey, what's some of the big challenges for you and your workload at the moment? What's some of the things that you feel like you need help with? Are there gaps in your team at the moment? Can I do anything to help you out? So be interested and be targeted. And if you focus on work stuff, in the first instance, you'll reduce some of that pressure to feel like you need to do the small talk. Mm. That'd be my first recommendation. So get interested, ask them questions about some of the challenges they're experiencing at work. I know on a previous episode, we've talked about Michael Bungay-Stenia's work in his book, The Coaching Habit. And one of his favorite questions to ask is, what's the real challenge for you here? And that question is a really deep one. And what it forces for the other person is they, they need to go deep in response. 
So if we can ask some of those deep questions to people that we work with, and of course, you're not going to just go up in the lunchroom or you're not just going to call someone <laughs> unless you're me, which I call you, Rach, and I'm like, what is going on in your life at the moment? Tell me the... <laughs> no fake answers. Tell me the real stuff. <laughs> <laughs> which is actually the, one of our text message threads. <laughs> so next time you see someone, you can also share a little bit about yourself and go, oh, I've been struggling with this at work at the moment. How are you going with it? Or how have you handled it? And if you ask for advice, people are very happy to give advice. <laughs> so you can actually build rapport that way and go, okay, Rach, I've been struggling with this lately. Or I had this situation happen last week. I didn't really know how to deal with it. What would you recommend? And then you're actually building rapport. That person feels like they're helping you, they're serving you and you're building a relationship and it's genuine. I love that so much because you're also bonding over a shared experience at work. Like it could be a pain point that everyone is experiencing, but nobody's talking about. And if you're coming to them with that vulnerability of like, hey, like I really am struggling with this. It might be something to do with the work culture. It might be something to do with the workload. You're giving such an opening to be like, yes, we agree with this. And then asking them for the help is such a great way of building their trust, I suppose. Yeah. And you've got to be careful that you don't flip into that gossip mode because that is the risk sometimes when you talk about the work struggles. But if you think about it as what are one of the areas you want to grow? So let's say for me, one of the things that I struggle with, which I've said many times on this podcast is detail. Like I don't like the detail of things. And if I was working alongside you, Rach, and I know you're really good at detail and you're really good at project management, because you manage all of these podcasts that we do, <laughs> I, I would actually come to you and say, hey, I'd love to pick your brain about how you manage those projects. I'm struggling with that skill set. It's not my natural area of strength. Do you reckon we could chat and I could get some advice on that? Mm. Instant rapport building, instant connection. A lot of people are happy to give advice because it also makes them feel good. It makes them feel like they're helping. So that's kind of a strategy to build rapport, build connection. There's a couple of other things that I want you to do. If you want to get better at building rapport and relationships at work, I want you to become a professional question asker. So I want Mm. you to build this muscle of how do you ask good questions? How do you stay in that curious zone? And so Think about those, I mean, we mentioned that Michael Bungay-Stanny example before. He's got some great questions. You can Google him. We'll put some stuff in the show notes. But start to compile a list of questions that you want to ask people and use that in conversations where you feel like there's a lull or there's that awkward silence and you're like, what do I do? Just ask them questions about themselves. Be interested in the other person. Be curious. And then this is the next step that I want you to take after that. Once you leave that conversation, write down a couple of memorable things. So if it was me talking to you, Rach, and you were telling me some stuff about you personally, I know that you've just recently moved house. You've been on this big journey. Moving house is a huge transition. And I'd be asking you next time I see you, how's everything going with you settling in at your new place? How's all that going for you? That would make me feel so cared about that you remembered that detail, especially if we hadn't spoken in a couple of weeks or something like that. I think that's such a great tip. My old CEO who I worked for, Tim, he remembered every employee's name, their partner's names. He would remember their kids' names. Oh my gosh. He would be like, hey, Shelley, how's Sunny going? Or hey, Shelley, how's Sam going with his business? Oh, 
What a champ. Yeah, and there was like, you know, nearly – there was over 150 staff. So it's not uh, – he was so diligent in remembering details about people and that makes people feel seen. It makes people mm. feel valued. So I want you to be interested, form those – ask people for advice. It's a really good way to build rapport. And then the last thing I want you to do after you ask those questions is to write down the things that are memorable – and ask them about it the next time you see them. If you do those things, I guarantee you're going to build connection, you're going to build relationship. And I'm sorry, but I'm going to say one final piece of advice on this. (laughs) I know I'm banging on, but the last thing I would do, if you want to build more relationships at work, is when you see someone do something good, message them, email them, slack them, and say, hey, you did this, that was awesome be specific, give specific positive feedback. I'm not saying flatter people. I'm just saying give specific encouragement because it's a really meaningful thing for the other person. And that's how you build great relationships. That's actually part of becoming more likable. I know we don't like to talk about likability, but if you want to grow your network, if you want to build great relationships, those are the ways to make it happen. Awesome. All right. Next question. How do I move past big failures at work? I made a huge mistake and I don't know what to do about it. How do I move past big failures at work? Oh, this is so hard because I am an overanalyzer and I also am a perfectionist. And so when when we have failures, if you're like me, when we have failures, we just beat ourselves up about it and go into like a really, you can get into a pretty dark place. It's almost like you have the song on repeat and it just goes yeah. round and round and you've, you're just re-watching yourself in slow motion thinking, why did I do that? Or <laughs> how did cringing. This... <laughs> yeah, and if it's a really big fail, if it's something quite serious, it can be really hard to move past it. And mm-hmm. I remember, Rach, earlier in my career, I was leading a HR team and I was doing this project. We were moving to a new HR and payroll system. It was a really big project and we were doing it in like an eight-week timeline. So it was a really fast turnaround. And I totally dropped the ball on this stakeholder engagement piece where I didn't engage a couple of key people in the process. And it meant that I missed a huge step in the process and it caused massive fallout. And I remember not only was I beating myself up about it because I stuffed up the project – But then I had to have the conversation with someone really senior in the business, essentially saying how bad that was. (laughs) And it was bad. I laugh about it now. But at the time, I was so rattled and devastated that I'd, I'd, it cost a bit of money, quite a bit of money to fix. Like it was just not a good thing. I totally stuffed up. And in that moment, I think you've got a couple of options. So option one is you just sink into the failure. So it's like, Do you know what I mean? It's like this quicksand where yes, you're like, I'm, I'm going to just drown in this failure now. Mm. I think option two is you put your blinkers on and you just go, you know what? There's all these other people that are responsible for it as well. There's This went wrong and this went wrong. You start externalising. You, you don't actually mm. take on ownership and you just plough on through because it's kind of a self-preservation. And I think yeah. the third option is sit in it for a period of time and allow yourself to go, you know what, I stuffed up. Like I've made a mistake. And then there's this tipping point in option three where you sit in it for a bit 
and you go, okay, now I need to think about the future. What have I learnt that I'm going to apply in the future? So we really need to get future focused when we have a fail. So I want you to think about what did I do? And I would almost, when you have these really big failures, so for me, that moment, that was really, really heavy. I distinctly remember sitting in this meeting with this senior leader and then saying, you've really, really stuffed this up, basically. It was heavy. It was such a heavy conversation. And I was so upset and rattled. Like I was like, and I knew I've got really the two options at that point for me were sink into the failure and just like let it kind of rule how I'm feeling or absorb what's happening go, yep, I've stuffed up. What am I going to do to fix it? The big thing that leaders want from you when there has been a fail, they want you to own it. So they want you to take ownership. So for me, what I had to do is I, I went away from that conversation and I went back and said, okay, this is what's happened with the project. This is where I've dropped the ball. Here's how I'm going to fix it. Here's the five steps I'm going to take to make sure that this doesn't happen again. And once I've done that, they have confidence that you've owned it, which is a big tick. You've taken time to reflect on what went wrong and then you've put steps in place and you've changed your process so that that failure can't happen in future. And that's that's just a normal part of work life. We all have fails. So we need to be okay with them. We also need to show that we're learning from them and we're reducing the likelihood that that will happen again. And so I say that and I tell that story and now I laugh about it and think that wasn't even that bad. But at the time it was the worst thing ever. I've, yeah. made, I've made about a million more and bigger mistakes since then. But the point is, don't allow yourself to sink into it. Don't get your blinkers on and ignore it or or externalise the failure to other people. Own your part and then move into that future-focused mode where you can then change your process, change your approach so it doesn't happen in future. Yeah, that's fantastic. It's like you're rebuilding the trust and confidence in your leaders again. by telling them what you're going to change for the next time. Did it take you some time to process through the emotions before you were able to get to that point of actually being future focused? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, and I think the thing that I'm heaps better at now, so that would have been like seven, that's probably like seven years ago. So I feel like I've grown heaps since then. Mm. I used to really beat myself up about failure and it got it could get really really critical and I would go on a big rumination cycle I think I've grown heaps since then whereas now I see failure as more of a oh cool I've tested that that didn't work or okay I've changed my approach now that's okay when it's not a huge risk factor like you can have that mindset of oh okay I've tested that new process it didn't work we'll change it I think you've got to also look at the impact So when you have a fail at work, what is the impact of that? And if the impact is fairly minor, it's really important not to dwell on it too much. But if the impact is fairly major, like that situation for me, I I would have said at the time, like that was a pretty big misstep by me. So you need to make sure your response to the failure is proportionate to the impact and often I think we blow things out of proportion when we fail and we go, oh my gosh, I'm never going to bounce back from this 
Whereas the older you get, I feel like the more you see failure is a point, part of life. It's a process to learn. And if I don't have any fails, I'm actually not learning. So mm-hmm. starting to see it in a positive rather than something that we need to fear. Yeah, that's great. I think there's a lot of fear, personally for me, probably a lot of fear wrapped up in failure when I self-identify with the failure. So if it's more like if I'm seeing the situation as I am a failure because of this thing that happened rather than I failed at X, Y, Z, I think that can be a big part of just getting wrapped up in your emotions. But when you can kind of see it as an external part of you, it's not actually you and your identity. You're so much more than what just happened that can really help you move through it. I love that, Rach. I failed not I am a failure. And even one of my, if we go lean into this a bit more, how do you start to enjoy failure? <laughs> like it's like oh, sounds sadistic. Tips please. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds really sadistic, but like I feel like now I've gotten to the point and maybe it's like once you become a business owner or something and you just realise you're going to fail at everything <laughs> at some point or another. So the, the joy for me now is, and, it, and it's probably been, a ch- it's a challenge and I've challenged myself to go, look at failure as a growth catalyst. Oh, cool. I failed at that. Sweet. Now I know how to do it better. Yeah. Learning opportunity. That's great. Absolutely. But I love what you're saying about not identifying, not attaching your identity to those failures, but getting a bit of distance from them and looking at it in a way of, okay, that happened. I now know not to do that again. I can have a moment to reflect, but I'm not going to sink into the rumination cycle of I I am a failure because I think that's when it gets really unhealthy. Okay, Rach, what's the next question? My last few jobs, I've ended up having issues with the boss. Oh, spicy. Am I the problem or am I just unlucky? You know what I love about this question is that this person's self-reflective enough to ask it. Yeah. I love that they're going, okay, is this about the jobs that I'm applying for? Is this just a problem with all leaders or, or am I contributing to this? And mm. the answer is probably a combination of the two. There's a few steps I want you to take to identify, are you the problem or is it just a problem with the boss? The first thing I want you to do is reflect. Now we've talked about reflection already on this episode. I want you to look for the patterns that you've seen over your career history. So let's say the last three jobs you've had issues with the boss try and pinpoint, is there a common theme? Because if there's a pattern, that may indicate that there are some problems in how you're interacting with your boss or how you're interacting with your employer. Because if you start to see, well, each of my bosses gave me feedback that my initiative was low or that I wasn't driven, well, then the theme is maybe you need to lift some of your initiative. And if that's common across all three scenarios, where we look at the common denominator and the common denominator, unfortunately, probably is you. (laughs) So go through that process, try and spot the themes. Then I want you to flip it. I want you to flip the scenario and go, what was the theme or concern that I had with each of those bosses? So you're doing reflection on both sides. So we're not going to go one-sided, we're going to look at both. Okay, well, let's say your concern with each of those bosses was that they were micromanaging or they were controlling or they didn't give you enough freedom. Well, what that may tell you is that you're working in a job or an industry where leaders don't get to give you that freedom because of the nature of the industry. So let's say you're in a call centre, 
you want all this autonomy. Well, a call center environment doesn't have autonomy because everything is so process driven. Your times are scheduled, your tasks are scheduled and you have scripts that you have to use. So I want you to think about, okay, well, if the problem is that managers in this context or industry or job, actually that's how they lead. Well, then you start to think maybe I'm not suited for this career, this industry, this job. So what I'm saying is find the pattern, look for the themes. Is it that you're struggling with customer service, but you love internal operations? So you love being on the internal side of the business, but you don't like the customer facing part of the business. Mm. Well, if that's the case and that's the common theme, that tells you it's a job fit. It's less about the boss. It's more about your fit with the role. So we need to get to what is the actual problem? What are the themes? And I suspect for this person, it's a combination of both. It's often both sides. So you might have some common things that you're doing that are causing some issues with your manager. And so I want you to address those. I want you to work on those and see them as growth opportunities. But then I also want you to reflect on there's something not right here with the job fit for me. And that may mean that I need to start looking at what's my next career move? What's my next kind of, and it could be a long-term thing. It doesn't have to be a right now, but doing that process of self-reflection is what can get you the answers that you need and help you kind of navigate that change. All right, we're going to go to a quick break. And when we come back, I'm going to talk about this idea of rebuilding confidence after working in a toxic culture. If you want to grow in your career, I just wanted to remind you about our book, Sort Your Career Out and Make More Money. Glenn James and I have written this book to help you with any kind of career crisis, but also those things that you want, like getting a promotion, making more money, moving into a leadership role, or if it's time to quit your job. You can find our book wherever you get good books from, or you can listen on the audiobook, Sort Your Career Out and Make More Money. Now let's get back to the show. 
how do I rebuild my confidence after working in a toxic job for ages? I find this really interesting, Rach. Just, I wish I was an organisational psychologist. Like maybe I need to go back and study because I find these dynamics super fascinating where if you work in a toxic environment for an extended period of time, it has such a huge impact on your confidence, on your health, on your well-being. Like it just, I cannot overstate the impact it has on people. So I'm so glad this person sent this question through because it's really a huge challenge. And I have seen a lot of people overstay in toxic environments and their confidence drops and it can take a long time to rebuild. If this is you, I want to encourage you, there's a, an episode we did with Jess Hickman on digging into toxic culture and workplace bullying. Go back and listen to that. That's very, it's a full on episode, but it's really helpful if you're in this really difficult spot right now. But just from my perspective, what I've seen work well for people is firstly, accepting that it takes time to rebuild your confidence. So don't have an expectation that it's going to happen overnight. Give yourself space to rebuild your confidence, allow yourself space. For me, one of the things where I've felt like I've lost confidence uh, due to some difficult work experiences, I've, I guess you would call it journaling. I just write stuff down in my notes on my phone about how I'm actually feeling to try and identify what it, what are the triggers for me? Like what are some of the triggers that lower my confidence I don't know, not everyone's going to want to do that, but that was really helpful for me to go, okay, when I get into this environment, I find that my confidence drops. And then I dig into, well, why is that? What is it that's happened previously that's caused me to think like that? What is it that I can do to prepare for those scenarios because I can't avoid them? So part of it is sometimes we just want to avoid those scenarios altogether and just say, you know what, I'm not going to put myself in that environment. Well, that's actually not always possible. (laughs) And it may not even be good for your career. Like you you might need to, for example, maybe one of the things you find really challenging is getting into a job interview environment. And that really affects your confidence, which is normal. Most of us get very nervous in job interview situations. If that's you, one of the things we need to do is to practice to put ourselves into situations that make us feel a little bit uncomfortable and to slowly build up our resilience and our muscle towards that. So for me, that's been a really big thing, journaling. The other thing that's really important, if you're coming out of a toxic culture, you need to surround yourself with people that build you up. Because if we think about our confidence as like a glass, if you've slowly had your glass emptied over time, that your confidence has dropped, you need people who are going to refill that. And so I want you to find those people and surround yourself with those voices. For me, I really find it important that I have encouraging voices in my corner, in my team that help to rebuild that confidence. Totally. And also in addition to just building up your confidence, sometimes you just need people to validate what you went through because often it can be a very lonely experience going through a toxic, you know, like work situation especially if you haven't had anyone to process with through that journey. Yeah, if you have gone through stuff, then sometimes just talking with a trusted friend about what you went through and hearing them say, yes, like that is not good or um, just validating your experience can really help you feel confident again that how you were treated, it was not right. 
Exactly. And and you can get disillusioned when you've been in that environment for ages. You can get quite disillusioned and think that it's normal when it isn't. And you get out of that environment and you realise, oh, gee, that that was really not healthy. How I saw myself in that environment, how people treated each other in that context. So you're absolutely right, Rach. Like we need those moments where we get a safe place to debrief and get that validation. And the other thing that can happen is this idea of emotional contagion, where if you're in, a, in an environment that doesn't treat people right, that does really devalue the people in the business, well, then that is very contagious. And so if you're in that culture, you're not valuable, is constantly being reinforced. And so when you get out of that environment, it's important to surround yourself with people that actually do the opposite of what you've just experienced. And that's why I think it's really the voices we let speak in really are really important. And I want you to surround yourself with people who have your best interests at heart, that do encourage you. I'm not saying don't ever listen to constructive feedback. Of course we need constructive feedback. Like we absolutely need that. We also need to have trust and safety in those relationships. All right, we've got time for one more question. What's the last one on our list, Rach? Last question. I've been in a higher duties manager role for about six months. They recently advertised the job and I wasn't successful and an external applicant got it. I'm really embarrassed and deflated. What can I do? That's tough. Yeah, so tough. I think this is a really tough situation, especially when you've invested heaps of energy and heaps of time you've gone above and beyond mm. to show your worth and and then to get knocked back or rejected and it get given to an external affluent, that's full on and, and really hard. Yeah, that would sting. There's a couple of things. Some of the same stuff we talked about in the in the question above around not sinking into the rejection. So I want you to start to think future focused because it's easy in these moments to look back at the past six months and go, oh, what could have I done differently? What could have I done better? And there's value in that, right? There is value in reflection. But I want you to move into that future mode where we start thinking about, okay, I want to get feedback from the hiring manager as to why I wasn't successful. That is so important. So what is it that I need to do differently going forward? Or what is it that they're saying that maybe I didn't have the skills or capabilities? What areas did they feel there were I had gaps in? So get clear on that because that can really help. It's, it's giving you that data and that clarity about what they feel maybe wasn't there. And that way you can use that information to help put you in the best position to get the role next time, be that in your company right now or somewhere else. So I think that's the first thing. Get the feedback from your manager. Ask for really specific feedback. And if you feel like you're not getting that, I would be open and say, I'm really struggling with this. I feel like I'm processing what's happened I think what will help me move forward is getting some really specific feedback about the gaps or areas you want me to grow in. That will really help. So is there a way we could schedule time for us to have that conversation? So you're actually asking them and and letting them know you're struggling a bit with it. Once you've done that, then the next thing I would do is work out, well, what are your goals? So what are your goals? Do you want to be 
in a leadership role or a management role? Is that your kind of goal? And then I want you to talk to your manager about that. So the tricky thing in this dynamic is that a new manager's coming in and you've been doing the role. So there's this this having to let go of something and let someone else step in. And that can be a really tough process. It can really lower your engagement at work as well. So think about how do you want to do that transition? And the other thing I'd encourage you to do, and this is going to be really, this is really hard, but I want you to think about how do you set that new manager up for success? So that's taking it that step further. And that helps you to move out of the self-focused mode and move into, okay, you know what? I'm, I'm sad that I didn't get the role. I feel rejected, but I'm going to now put my best foot forward. I'm going to see how I can set this new manager up to succeed. And I'm also going to communicate to them, hey, some of my goals are to get into this role down the track. I'd love your help to get there. Now that's, oh. a f- <laughs> what are your thoughts? I think that is the peak of professionalism. If you can do that, you will have no problem in your career progressing because I think that just shows so much humility. Uh, it's hard to do, I think. So if you can do that, I think that that will take you a long way in your career. Oh, 100%. It's a really mature response. Yes. yes I think the word good. is maturity. And yeah. if you want to get into a leadership role, you need maturity. I'm not talking about age. I don't think maturity is an age thing as much as it's an attitude thing. So I want you to think about how do I set them up for success? And oh my gosh, it can feel painful. But Mm. if you do that, you're exactly like so spot on, Rach. Like if, if we are able to get to that headspace and, and commit that, okay, well, I'm going to make this a priority you can't control what they do. You can't control how they lead, but you can control how you respond to this situation that really sucks. Mm. And if you respond with maturity, I guarantee you you're setting yourself up for a win that next time the role comes up. Yes. Okay. Well, gee, there were some bangers. This was tough stuff. And these are all painful situations that we experience in our career. I think the biggest takeaway for me in all of these questions is be intentional with your response. Whatever happens, if it's a failure, if it's a rejection, if it's toxic culture that you're coming out of, be intentional about how you respond to these situations rather than reactive and, it, and don't sink into that sense of failure. Like reflect, but don't ruminate. I guess that's the essence of it. Hey, Rach, thanks for hanging out. This was so good, show. As always, if you enjoy this show, give us a five-star rating wherever you listen and message me on LinkedIn if you've put any of this into practice. I love, I love, I love hearing from our listeners. It honestly makes my whole day. So message me and let's chat. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. We love learning how to do all things well, which is why we have a bunch of different podcasts on a variety of topics. So go and check out My Millennial Investor, My Millennial Money Professional, My Millennial Property, My Millennial Money, and our Spotify exclusive show, My Millennial Daily.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.